0: Well, welcome to Black History Matters 365 with your host, Joanne skate, your marketplace entrepreneur. It is a delight to have you on our show or with our show this morning, if you're listening. It is a delight as well, and I'm excited as well to have another great history maker with us today, not of yesterday, but of today, and who is still contributing today as we speak. So I'm excited to have him. His name is Mr. Melvin Forbes, and you're going to love every minute of the interview because every time Mr. Forbes speak, there's always some knowledge dropped, and you're going to be encouraged, and I'm excited about letting you hear him today. But I always love to open up, as you know, with great thinkers of yesterday and thinkers. Thinkers of today, but one um, I think that matches Mr. Forbes in a great way because of his experience is Miss Catherine Johnson of NASA, or the lady that was um, portrayed in Hidden Figures. Her quote says, Like what you do, and then you will do your best. Very simple quote. And I actually have heard you say this, Mr. Forbes. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. by Catherine Johnson. I love that quote. I am excited again to have Mr. Forbes in. I'm going to give you a short bio of who this history maker is, and he's going to tell us more about himself, too. I'm going to read a quick short bio on him. Melvin Forbes is the president and CEO of Forbes Consulting Incorporated. He got his start with NASA Space Center when he was just 19 years old. The opportunity was a milestone that springboarded a lifelong career achievement. Since then, Melvin has made significant contributions in executive consultation, strategic development, marketing, and process improvements for public, private, and domestic, and international communities. Forbes maintains a diversified education in information technology and business management including an executive specialization from Harvard University. Wonderful. He's a political influence, which has acquired him to be with the White House. He was appointed in a position serving for the former President Clinton administration and the former President Bush administration as well with the White House Weed and Seed Commission. He he has also upheld state Appointed positions such as on the Maryland Correctional Enterprise Council via Governor Martin O'Malley, correct? Am I right about that? Yeah. (laughs) The Maryland State Technology Board via Governor Glending, is that correct? Glending? Mm -hmm. Harris Glending. Harris Mm -hmm. Glending. Uh The Mm -hmm. Maryland Correctional Service Enterprise Management Council via Governor Robert Elridge, Jr as well as on the Maryland State Use Industries Management Council and the Maryland State Partnership for Workforce Quality. I love this part. And I'm, I'm going to stop there because there's so much great stuff about him. But this last part, during the heart of the telecommunications era boom from 1982 to 1997, Forbes led MCI Telecommunications Incorporated as corporate director into new technologies or new territories of technology, taking the enterprise from 3 million to 26 billion by driving transformative strategies, technologies, tools, and techniques, creating the first global competition market in the telecom industry. Wow. (laughs) we have so much to be grateful to you for and to thank you for I'm gonna thank you before we get into the interview because I I honor you sir and I thank you for Mm -hmm. taking the time out to come on this podcast today because it's gonna be amazing and it's amazing to have you great history maker of today how are you today Mr. Melvin Forbes come on in with us
1: (laughs) Well, I'm first. Let me just say I'm delighted to be part of this incredible podcast, and thank you for all that you do. Because uh, history forgotten is sometimes history repeated. So, mm-hmm. for you to be able to take this medium and your platform and your audience, and remind them that we are as great as God has allowed us to be, because all that I am, I ever hope to be, I owe it all to God. So I always have to say that first and foremost. Um, but it is a pleasure to be here. So I'm just
0: excited and delighted (laughs) to to be part of your your podcast. Well, we appreciate you being here today. Well, first of all, just tell us a little bit more about who you are. Now, I gave them a beautiful Bible, but there is some incredible personal things and how you grew up and connecting with family and all that good stuff. Tell us a little bit more about you. Sure. Native North Carolina.
1: Was blessed to have some incredible parents uh, and came from a very small family of 13 brothers and sisters. Wow. And, <laughs> and, and I say small because we were the smallest in the community. Uh, I was reared on a farm. We had hogs, cows, chickens, and full blooded farm. And blessed that we were able to just share what we grew with the neighborhood because my parents were very given people.
0: Mm -hmm. And then
1: I was fortunate, as I went through school, to be one of the first to attend a majority school in the South. In 1965, when John Lewis went across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, one year later, I integrated along with five others as the freshman, the first freshman class, uh, a high school named Green Central High School in Snow Hill, North Carolina. So that was a first. And uh, leaving the South. Um, My parents uh, knew that I was not cut out to be a farmer. Of all the 13 brothers and sisters, they knew that I had this propensity to always look at problems and come up with solutions. Even though my chores, I would figure out a way to do them differently, faster or easier than my, my siblings. So recognizing that gift, I actually thought, though, uh, Joanne, that I was going to be the next Michael Jordan because, you know, uh, we, yeah, So you
0: played the ball.
1: <laughs> played basketball, ran track, uh, was on the debating team at the school. I, um, so I participated in a lot of elements at the school, which allowed me to really understand my peers a lot better because remember now we're talking about 1966, okay, 1966. And so the merging of cultures and, and, and the philosophies of African-Americans and whites working together and going to school together was really an anonymity during that time, but we, we made it work. In fact, this year would have been the 50th year of our high school graduation celebration had it not been for the COVID. And we were excited about it because we talked about how we were able to make it work back then with a lot of, we had our challenges, don't misunderstand me. Right. But after the freshman year of what I call orientation of hard knocks, it became apparent to me that a lot of the misunderstanding was because there was no connection or communication between people. And whenever there's a lack of communication, it causes misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. And misunderstanding causes problems. So the more we can communicate, the more we can understand that we are more alike than not. Now, we also recognize there's some good in the best of us and some bad in the rest of us, right? Mm -hmm. So so you will always have those segments of, of people. But after I injured my knee and was unable to play basketball, a gentleman came from Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the capital of North Carolina, to my school. And he showed and presented at career day, something it was called back then, data processing, way before it became technology and all that. And I had an epiphany. As I sat there and listened to him talk about what the systems could do, it became very clear to me at that moment that it was something that I was intrigued by. So I went home that afternoon, and I told my mother, I said, Mom, I, I want to go to this school uh, that is teaching technology, and it was called the Sigler Institute out of California. And of course, my mother looked at me and said, Well, that's good. How, how are you going to make it happen? Son? <laughs> because obviously we couldn't afford to send me to one state over, more, more or less California, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she always knew that I would always figure out a way when I wanted to get something done. She knew that I was and it's interesting, a solutionist that I didn't know I was way back then. Mm-hmm. If you gave me a problem, I would give you a solution. S- solution. So in addition to working on the farm, there was a company called Thurston Motor Lines, which was a trucking company that transported long-distance products and uh, services between states hmm. in Wilson, North Carolina. Now, so geographically, Joanne, let me just give you this: we we I was born in Wilson, but our farm is 16 miles in Stansensburg, which is the, not call it the suburbs, it's the country, it is the country, all right? But Wilson is more or less like a, a suburban area now. And that's where a lot of, that's where I was born. So this is where this company was, reside. But the bottom line is I went and applied for a job. And the only thing that I was qualified for because I was in high school was to unload manually and load those trucks. But here, but here's the good news. The good news is they paid more than I was making working on the farm, number one. Mm. And number two, they allowed me to work as many hours as I wanted to work, which meant that I could make as much money as I wanted to make as long as I could work. Now, being as I was a very aggressive and young, vibrant, strong, you know, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, I decided to work 16 hours a day, and my parents allowed me to work every day except Sunday, because Sunday, I had to be in church. Sunday mm-hmm. school- I was gonna say church, <laughs> for sure. Church. <laughs> but but it, they allowed me, so I got my diploma in May. I immediately started to work the 1st of June. And from June to December, I had acquired enough money to put my own self through school, come up and live with my my siblings who were living in the Washington metropolitan area and attend a branch of LSI that God had, for some reason, had them to set up, I guess for me, in Maryland. So as opposed to having to go to California, I only it's had to go to Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. Wow. So fast forwarding, and you know, my life is almost a mystery even to me as i entered the school obviously i didn't know many people many people didn't know me and they were people from all over the country a professor was named dr story his name was dr story
0: mm-hmm.
1: one day he was demonstrating a particular formula on the board and i looked at that formula that he was demonstrating, and i said to him dr story i think there's another way to do what you're doing and get to the same answer huh. So he looked at me somewhat perplexed, and he goes, what's your name? I said, Melvin Forbes. He said, Mr. Forbes, what do you mean there's another way to get to the answer? I said, I really think that there's, he said, well, you come on up here and show me. And I will be honest with you, Joanne, until this day, I just knew when I saw it, I could rearrange it and come up with the same answer. So I did it. Mm. He was was bemused. He was absolutely flabbergasted. And he asked me the question of, how did you know how to do this? Because you're just learning from me. Mm -hmm. And I gave him the answer that is still the answer to this day. I said, I don't know, but I just know when I saw it that I could do it differently. My mother said all of us had certain gifts and my gift was be able to look at a problem and come up with a solution.
0: Um, Mm
1: -hmm. uh, But anyway, fast forwarding, after about seven months, he decided to have someone from NASA come to the school unbeknownst to me and talk to me. And this particular gentleman wanted to give me a test. So he gave me the test and and of course I took it. And then he asked me to take it again. So I took it again. So after I had taken it twice, uh, they came in and sat down and we started to dialogue and he said to me, Melvin, how did you know the answers to this test? And I said, I just figured it out as I read them. He said, do you do realize that this is a test that we give certain people that work for us at NASA? And these are very high level advanced questions. The first time you took it, it took you an hour and 10 minutes, and you got 85. The second time you took it, it took you about 45 minutes, and you got 95. He says, Melvin, mm-hmm. most people don't even get 80 on this test, so I don't know how you know this, but this is what I know. We would like to hire you immediately. I would excuse me? He said, we would like to hire you immediately. Mm. Well, I was. I said, well, I got to check in with my mother because my mother sent me here to go to school. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, well, let me just say this to you. Your mother will be extremely happy to know that you're going to have a job making money and then you can always finish your education. In fact, we may say okay. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it was like a fantasy, right? But let me tell you what's even more interesting to me. The first day I show up at Goddard Space Flight Center at, at NASA, right, in Greenbelt, they put me in Building 23. Now, the significance of that to me is the 23rd song, The Lord is mm. my strength, I shall not want, right? He make me... De- the 23rd song was the first thing that I learned as a child and that you had to learn without reading it. And and
0: mm-hmm. I am in Building 23. Like confirmation. My, it was like confirmation. confirmation. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: yes. Prior to that, when I played basketball, my number was 23. So I tell people, I wore 23 before Michael Jordan. Now
0: you <laughs> That's right he is 23 yeah oh my goodness that's so amazing i started
1: to wiring 1108 univac systems that's what the systems were and and i tell people this all the time And i was so blessed god god has been so good to me because here i am 19 years old i'm working at nasa mm. i'm on stuff that is so scientific and so amazing that I didn't even want to leave once I got to work. In fact, my boss said to me How one
0: exciting.
1: time, yeah, he said, man, you got to go home because I would work my shift and then stay over and watch others on their shift because I was amazed at what I was being part of, right? Mm. And what I learned uh, really, Joanne, was that people talk about, you know, privacy and, and stuff, but We had enough sophisticated technology. Now, we're talking about 71. We had enough sophisticated technology back in 1971 to track a bald-headed knack walking across cotton with bedroom slippers on. What? That's how sophisticated... That's pretty amazing. In 71, this was a night... You know, it's so funny because when I look at what's going on today with technology, I can tell you, that the technology that I was working with back then was so amazing, so thought-provoking and so advanced that the average person wouldn't even believe if I tried to, to explain it, yeah. But that allowed me to take my NASA experience and to go through other vocations. So I wind up with a scientific business transportation, uh, telecommunication background in systems engineering and MIS as a result of working for NASA. And of course, the last major corporate job I had was at MCI. Now, the historicalness of MCI is this. In 1982, Judge Harold Green broke up AT&T. Remember Mm -hmm. most companies, you're too young to remember, Joanne, but At one time, there was just one phone company, long distance company, and and it had Bell operating and regional operating companies called Box. Bell operating and yeah. Uh, And AT&T was a incredible company. But a gentleman by the name of Bill McGowan, who was a a lawyer, felt that it was a monopoly and he sued it. He sued AT&T. In 1982, Judge Harold Green Declared that AT and T was a monopoly and broke it up. Now this was in 1982, okay. January. Mm-hmm. What is significant about that is I was at that time working for Amtrak, and I had just finished putting in the entire reservation system worldwide as the project manager for Amtrak. Amtrak, wow, so the system mm-hmm. that is that is reservation system that is being ran by Amtrak today, I was the guy that put the new system in.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And so Mr. McGowan had read about me in something called Computer World about a man named Forbes who had just put in this national system worldwide. The important (laughs) thing is to remember this is, my last name is Forbes.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So, when he sent his recruiters looking for me, they found a different Forbes that they were looking for. They did, they did not expect yeah. an African American name. For right, it. I
0: was going to say they didn't that.
1: expect that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we obviously dialogue and they saw that my background was what it was, and he offered me what he said would be what came to be true a historical opportunity. And the historical opportunity was this, until MCI came along, there was only one long distance phone company. Mm -hmm. MCI was the second and became the second largest long distance company in the world. Then Sprint came along. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as a result of AT&T, MCI and Sprint, we created the telecom industry. So as a result of what you are utilizing today was the reason that, yes, <laughs> cell phones, laptops, tablets, but we created a platform, we created a channel for broadband and narrowband systems to be able to utilize what we are utilizing today. Hmm. So, so that experience allowed me to always create solutions that birth industries that created jobs. So strategically, even I tell people I'm still farming because I learned all those things on the farm, how you plant (laughs) plants.
0: And
1: and as a young man, my father was a very punctilious gentleman. He was very detailed. he believed that you do it right the first time so you don't have to do it over. His mantra was, do it right the first time and you don't have to do it over. Mm. So, he was very- I like that. (laughs) So, that's sort of my my corporate uh, background. But again, my life is a mystery even to me because when I look back on it, I don't even realize, and didn't even realize all the things that I had done and that God had blessed me to do. Uh, I had an opportunity while working at MCI to meet a gentleman by the name of Ron Brown, Mm -hmm. who was the first African-American Commerce Secretary under the Clinton administration. And he was at that time in charge of the DNC. And I met him and we started to talk and he asked me about politics. And I would be the first to tell you I was not interested in politics at all. (laughs) I really wasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I didn't know enough about it and I was so happy to be able to just be able to contribute the way that I knew how I was contributing and that was through business. I always thought that business and I still believe is the way that you drive an economy and keep people working from a a, a very perspective. But Ron Brown, God rest his soul, taught me something invaluable. He Mm -hmm. said, he said, politics is so important because you're not even legally alive until a politician signs your birth certificate and you're not legally dead until a politician signs your death certificate and i went what (laughs) so he's trying to show me (laughs) how important it was to at least have an element of politics in your life through voting being active and as a result of that, he introduced me to Bill Clinton. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yes. But, but prior to Mr. Clinton, uh, pre- former President Clinton, there was another president, uh, George Bush, 41.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And because during my MCI days, I had an office down in Texas, Plano, Texas, which is right outside Dallas. I had a chance to meet the Bush family and was able to uh, talk to them. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, would I, if he ever got involved in politics, and of course he became the president. He had this group called the Weed and Seed Committee that would allow people to take their resources and money and go into communities and weed out drugs by helping with economical development. Mm. So I wind up on the Weed and Seed Committee for George Bush.
0: I was going to ask you about Weed and Seed. What was that? (laughs) So that's what that was. Okay. A very,
1: very great program. It did Mm -hmm. so many things, Joanne, to help revitalize communities. Mm -hmm. Because it gave financial resources to allow that to happen, which is one of the things you must have, especially the inner cities where they were drug infested, and,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and, and, and so I got involved, and, and again, I was able to work uh, on the sea Committee for uh, President Bush. I was the advisor uh, to Donna Shalala, and I wind up, believe it or not, as the chairman of the United States Army Advisory Board under President Barack Obama
0: really so that's not in your bio i don't think that's kind of new though that one's kind of real recent (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, yeah. awesome that's awesome with all that experience and and then political that must have created kind of uh, forged a path for you to kind of create your own you know kind of life and business
1: Yes, yes, which is why I formed Forbes Consultant and Associates, because mm-hmm. people kept telling me, you got a billion-dollar name,
0: why aren't you using it, you know, right. Forbes, right? That's Forbes. true, I was going to say Forbes is an incredible name. You're listening to Part 1 of 2 Interview with Melvin Forbes on Black History Matters 365.